0: Let us pray as we begin our thoughts for today. Father, this morning as we come to you, this morning in our comfortable seats and comfortable homes through streaming, I get a sense that you are trying to make us uncomfortable. You want us to get out of our zones of ease and tradition and, yes, comfort and look to find ways of glorifying you and honoring you and sharing you with others and the world around you, us. I pray, Lord, that our thoughts today may be ones that stir us to do just that that we will see that you left everything you left all comfort and became uncomfortable for us so i pray that you will bless these words today maybe they yours and we leave this message in your hands lord thank you for your word that inspires and brings us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have already been blessed. Um, Thank you very much, Melanie, for last minute. I just asked her this morning if she would play the piano. I didn't know she was gonna be here. And uh, she is so well Sure, And she just got up and played, and that was very nice. And uh, I like... The children's story, um, God definitely brings us to places where we least expect Him to. And I am learning that lesson very hard. 2021, I'll mention more, but it was a transition year for me. And um, sometimes God brings us to places so that not only He can teach us, things about ourselves that we didn't even know. But he brings us to places where we can bless others, sometimes to the discomfort of ourselves. It's important to see life through the eyes of God. I was enormously blessed by um, Abby, your song. Appreciate it very, very much. I really think that we could go home. Um, the hymn that um, Abby and uh, our sister Almarine, thank you very much. Almarine, I'm always blessed. You always have, she always has a smile on her face. Um And the song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, I'm going to use a couple of hymns um, as introduction to my thoughts for today. Um, What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Then our opening hymn, which I hope you caught, verse 3. Yes, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad I learned to trust. Jesus, precious, save your friend, and I know that you are with me, and will be with me till the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, how I've proved you o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious, Jesus, oh for grace to trust Him more. A couple months ago, I preached a sermon. Um. And in that sermon, I shared with you the difficulty that I had had in this last year. Didn't get into them, there's no need to. Um, but it really challenged my faith like nothing has ever in my life. And I believe that God has brought me through um, better and closer, for which I praise him. There's a text that I have made um, my resolve for this year, it is going to be my theme text. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I have resolved that I want to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I believe that many of us go through life, most of us, if not all of us, go through life afraid of the boogeyman in some way, shape, or form. We start out as little kids afraid of the boogeyman. Mommy, daddy, I hear noises. To this day, I can still scare my wife and I'm the only one in the house. Um, You know, just showing up unannounced. Not that she's afraid of me, it's just I showed up suddenly. Um, we have these innate fears, deep fears. If you remember when the shepherds were out in the field and the angels came, they were sorely afraid. And the angel said, Do not be afraid. When the women came to the tomb and They saw the two men who were angels. They were terrified. And the first thing that the angel said is, don't be afraid. When the disciples, Cleopas and his friend showed up in the upper room there after Jesus had been crucified and arisen, and they had that experience on the road to Emmaus with Jesus, In Luke 24, it says that they were all locked up in a room. They thought that the same leaders who had killed Jesus were going to come and kill them next. And so they were locked up and hiding very, very cowardly, timid, and afraid in the upper room. And all of a sudden, you know, Jesus, well... They knock on the door, the Cleopas and his friend, and they tell them about the experience, and all of a sudden, Jesus just appears. And the first thing that they do is they're frightened. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, peace be unto you. If you'll notice through the writings of Paul, all through his writings, many of his books, he starts with the words grace and peace. Friends, this morning, before I even start my comments, and they're going to be short, before I start my comments, I want you to know that God's attitude towards you is grace and peace all the time. God desires nothing but our best good. He wants to do everything he can to do that, and oftentimes, the reason we are afraid is because We do not believe. Our unbelief, as the text said, is because we fear. We don't have that peace with Jesus. So this morning, I'd like to share a little bit more from Scripture that I think shares this in a way that... um, I think you'll find interesting. The world is filled with fear. Everyone is afraid. It's natural for us to be afraid. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and the tree, they went into hiding. When God came around looking for them, as he usually did, they probably thought he was coming around to kill them because they had been told that they were going to die when they ate the fruit And the fruit itself didn't kill them. So when God finally came around, when they were hiding, God said, where are you? And their response, we heard your voice and we hid ourselves because we were afraid. The kind of fear is a result of the fall. When we separate ourselves from God, it's automatic that fear comes in. It's not the same fear that identified in Revelation 14, which says that the everlasting gospel is to fear God. We know this because in Exodus 2020, 20, and let me get my little trusty thing here Exodus 2020 20 says, "Do not fear, for God has come to test you that His fear may be before you so that you may not sin." Moses tells them not to be afraid, but to have God's fear within them, so as not to sin. These are two very different and opposite types of fear, the natural fear and the spiritual fear of God. When we have the fear of God, we will fear nothing else. When Jesus went out into the wilderness after his baptism and he fasted for 40 days, he was there alone with the elements of darkness and cold and the wildlife and had nowhere to sleep. As he would often say, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And yet, Jesus never feared anything. He knew his Father and he trusted his Father And he simply focused on his mission, which was you and me. That was his only focus, to save us. And because of that, he trusted in his Father. There's a context of a story that I'm going to give you before I share my thoughts for today. Most of you know the story. But for those of you who don't, I'd like to bring you within the context of what I'm about to say, because it's important that you understand. So in Daniel, we have the exile of uh, the nation of Judah, and Daniel and his three companions become the focal point of the book of Daniel. Daniel has an amazing experience in chapter 1 where he proves himself and the king makes he and his friends leaders because they decided to honor God. The chapter is really all about those who honor God, God honors them. But then in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel with more of his influence, he is in front of the king, part of their uh, the wise men and, and so on and so forth. And Daniel is called upon because Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he dreams about this big image. Of course, he asks the, the, the satraps and all those people if they can tell them the dream and then tell them the interpretation. And of course, they say, well, no one can read minds. And so he's about to have him killed and then Daniel is asked to come and he prays to God and he comes to the king and he says, oh king, there's only, some, only one person who can give you your dream and its interpretation, and that's God himself. And then he interprets this dream of this big statue, head of gold um, and neck of silver and brass and then iron and then feet of iron and clay. And so he tells them the whole thing and and, uh, Nebuchadnezzar elevates Daniel and that's the beginning of his career. But then in chapter three, we have where in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar was told that he was that head of gold, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, didn't like that, and so he um, decided that he was going to make a statue all of gold. And, and so I'm not going to bring any more about the story, because the, the sermon is a little bit about that, but I'd like for you to realize, and let go home and read it sometime, um, if you haven't read the story, but this story here really hits home to um, a lot of things that I had not thought of before. We see a calmness in Daniel three. So let me ask you a question: Did the three Hebrews want plus Daniel? Did they want to be in Egypt in uh, in Babylon? <laughs> Were they conscripted? And forced, they were absolutely conscripted and forced. Did they spend the rest of their life in Babylon? Yes, they did. At the very end, Nebuchadnezzar became converted because of four people Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You might say that their entire purpose in life was born to convert one of the greatest monarchs in the world. And the story that we're about to see here today is a contrast between men who have faith in God and a man who was struggling with his fears and who even in the midst of his fears and worries and doubts and cares, God was ever reaching out to his heart, doing everything he could to convert him. So let's look at this. We see this calmness in Daniel three, which is an incredible story of Nebuchadnezzar building the very image that he had seen in his dream. Uh, In chapter two, only it was all gold, not just the head, which represented his kingdom. Why did Nebuchadnezzar make the image all gold? Because Nebuchadnezzar was afraid that his kingdom would come to an end. I have met over the course of my career many people who were close to dying, and they were afraid of dying. But we all know that that time is coming. We are all afraid to die. Ironically, in the beginning, prior to sin, humans were made to live forever. God made us to live forever. We were never meant to die because God has put eternity in our hearts. We are therefore afraid to die because we were never meant to die. Like Nebuchadnezzar, we all exhibit the very fear that the entire human race has, the fear of death. He doesn't want his kingdom to end because he doesn't want his life to come to an end. In his mind, in order to establish his kingdom and his life and his legacy forever, he builds an image of gold so that he and his kingdom will have perpetuity. The reason why everyone on that plain of Dura bowed to the king's golden image was because under threat and pains and penalty of death, they were afraid of dying. The king said, if you don't bow down to this golden image, you are going to die. The image was built out of fear and the people bowed down out of fear. And yet when the music sounded and everyone bowed down to that image, we see three brave men who were not bowing. Why? Why do you think they were not afraid? They exude absolutely no fear at all. Understanding the Daniel three story in the context of fear is helpful to further understand the three angels messages in Revelation 14 of fearing God which is a holy reverence for God. The only reason the three Hebrew young men didn't fear the king was because they feared God and they had no other fear except the love of God. Without the fear of God in your heart, all of you, all of your other fears will only get larger and loom bigger over time. Only the fear of God will banish all your fears in life. And here is our text. There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. So the more you love, the less you fear. The more fear you have, the less love of God. The love of God and the fear of God are one in the same. They are synonyms. The everlasting gospel calls us to fear God, which in essence means to love God. The only way that we can do that is to trust and obey. The more we do that, the less natural fear we have. In, our, in my sermon two months ago, remember there were two things that I said that you can do to have a closer relationship with people, just anyone? That is to have someone who is trustworthy. You can't trust someone unless they're trustworthy. And then, second of all, spend, take the time to get to trust them. How do you do that? You spend time. My wife and I have been married coming up on 43 years. We, oh, sorry, we just did for 43 years. Um, and the reason why we trust each other is because we've spent time together. We've communicated together. We've talked together. We've learned about each other that makes us trust each other. And that is no different in your relationship with God. So in Daniel 3, these men refused to bow down and worship the image. And let's pick up the story in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring these three men. And so they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, is, Is it true that you do not serve my gods and worship the gold image which I have set up? But in the king's mind, he's thinking something different than what he's actually saying. What he is really thinking but not saying is this. Is it true that you are not afraid? Because he's the king and he is afraid and so are all the others bowing down including the mightiest leaders. At that moment, Nebuchadnezzar is finding it amazing to actually find some people who are not afraid in life. He could tell that they had something that he didn't have, which was a calm peace, and that was making him quite upset. People need and are looking for the same kind of calm and peace that is eluding them, because friends, they certainly don't have it. The role of you and me as a Christian is to possess that kind of assurance and that kind of peace within us so that we can turn, in turn, pass it along to others who are looking for that peace as well. Other people around us have that same, want that same kind of peace, but they can only have it as they foresee it. Wow. I, I just can't believe that my life could be that responsible in helping others find that kind of peace. It's really sobering, really. The only way that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be led beyond his mere intellectual assent with and about God into an actual friendship with him is actually by seeing it first as he did in the lives of those brave Hebrew young men. You see, in chapter one, he had been confronted by God. God, Nebuchadnezzar didn't know who God was, and in the three Hebrews and Daniel, he saw them honor God with their health. And he goes, ooh, this is kind of interesting. 10 days, wow, man, these guys are far ahead. And so he kind of made them a little bit, and so in Daniel one, he's confronted, but in Daniel two, he sees Daniel give him the, um, the dream and interpretation, He goes, wow, I've never seen this before. And so he's kind of convinced, you know, that maybe there is something to this God of of Daniel. So it isn't that he isn't aware of God because he's now experienced God twice in the first two chapters. But he still doesn't understand God. And so God is ever leading him further and closer to his heart and he does that through these three Hebrew young men. God allowed the process and the circumstances of this chapter to take place, calling his witnesses, these three young men, to stand without fear so that they could lead Nebuchadnezzar to the same experience in order that he, Nebuchadnezzar, could also encounter God just like them. God wants to pull that same fear out of everyone who will come to him. After Nebuchadnezzar has his little tantrum, he calms down a bit to restate his previous order, thinking that they might have missed the full impact of the command to bow down. So in verse 15, he says, if you are ready... At the time that you hear the sound of the musical instruments and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Whoops. Nebuchadnezzar has just crossed the line and he's gone one step too far with this last statement. Coincidentally, that is what we humans do when we are filled with fear. We do things that we wouldn't normally do, and this applies to the late leaders and the nations of this world. In Luke 21 verse nine, Jesus says, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass, but the end will not come immediately. The biggest war, friends, that we are facing, that, sorry, that we are waging now as a country is the war against terrorism, whose goal it is to inflict fear on our nation. Terrorism is meant to give you and me fear. Fear. Why? Because when we are afraid, we do things that we would not normally do. And if you want to be overly cynical about this, it's scary, but true, that powerful leaders will even set up opportunities for wars to exist and come about. Many of our previous wars often were no accident. In the course of commotion and war, people can be manipulated And led to do things that they wouldn't normally do otherwise. And of course, what's the biggest fear right now? COVID. People are frightful of COVID. In this verse, Luke 21 verse 9, Jesus is telling us not to let wars and rumors of wars terrify us. The devil wants to get us to compromise our faith in and to worship God We tend to give up liberties and freedoms that in normal circumstances we would never dream of giving up otherwise. As a nation, the U.S. is afraid and giving up liberties in exchange for perceived safety. But if you're not afraid and know that God is in control of your life, then you won't make any compromises for the sake of your earthly security and your protection. This is the very experience that Daniel's three friends had there on the plain of Dura. They would not compromise on anything that the king did or said. So when Nebuchadnezzar said, maybe you just didn't hear me correctly. I said that if you don't worship and bow down the golden image, you are going to die in a very hot fire. And oh, by the way, who is the God who can save you? But notice the response from these young men. Absolutely beautiful and powerful. Verse 10. Sorry, verse 16. And they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand. But if not... Let it be known, king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Wow. This statement was made in such a matter-of-fact way that it contained absolutely no fear. Their response was resolute, and it was firm. They were polite, and they were kind, but straight to the point with their simple yet direct answer. We then see how Nebuchadnezzar lost all sense of composure. He is no longer hearing about their refusal to bow, but is seeing them directly in front of them face to face, realizes that they aren't afraid or scared of him in the least. There is nothing at all that he as king can do to intimidate them. Leaders control people through intimidation. But this strategy wasn't working with these three young men. It was obvious that another power was leading, guiding, directing, and controlling them, which was God. And so in verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards them. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated, As he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind them and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the first killed those men who took them up to the fire. So if you can see it in your mind's eye, they bind these three men. The king's men take them up there, and who ends up dying but the men who take them up there? And they're just immediately destroyed. These mightiest men in the kingdom were slain by this intensive heat as they threw these three men into the fire. Friends, at some point, in our life, we are going to die anyway. So why not go willingly all the way with God? We are only safe when we entrust our life completely to God and go all the way into his presence with his relationship and our relationship with him. These young men did not compromise or fall short, but when fully committed to God, into the fire, irrespective of the consequences. After all, this is where Jesus is. He's in the fire. The fire represents the trials and the difficulties that we are going through, but God will use the fire to refine and restore you into a better person, worthy to withstand anything through his grace and his help. We can trust that he will be in that fire with us no matter what is happening to us. I can testify that this last year, I felt a lot of that fire. And I'll be honest, as I was two months ago, it was challenging my faith. But I found that the more I looked to Jesus and the more I continued to, reading about him every day and trusting him and and believing him and accepting him and just coming to him and just asking him to help me that i can say that i've been through the fire and he's been with me don't pull back and think that you are strong enough to withstand this fire Because if you do, your fate will be like that of the mighty men who threw them into the fire and died themselves because the fire was too intense and hot. Friends, don't go through that fire alone. You can't. Only God can do that with you. Do not resist, but willingly step into that fire knowing that Jesus is already there. Verse 23. And these three men fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. The king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste and sang, spoke, saying th- to his counselors, <clears throat> Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. These men were yesing him to death because they were too afraid to disagree to him, with him. Oh, yeah, 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 we, 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 threw two, we, we, we threw three. Verse 25. But look, he said, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of Man. How did the king know to call Jesus the Son of Man? Evidently, Nebuchadnezzar in chapters one and two through Daniel and his three friends had seen enough of Jesus through the lives of these four young men that he was able to somehow discern Jesus in that fire. And so as he looks into that fire, He sees them loose and walking around and talking with no effort and no harm and no fear. When we trust God, we too can be free. We can be in the hottest trials of our life and yet still be completely free. This is the experience that God has called us to live. The whole point's Friend, don't miss this. The whole point of redemption is that we would be free and no longer in bondage to sin and guilt and shame and self and hopelessness and bad habits. Jesus wants to loose and free us from what we bind ourselves in this world to. Things like worry, things that concern us, aspirations, addictions, money, fame, power, notoriety, prestige, Whatever it is that you are clinging to, Jesus wants to separate you from. God wants to give us freedom from all this extra baggage that is hanging around our necks. When we are set free, we can become the kind of people that God has always wanted us to be from the very beginning of creation. This is is how God created us to be free, completely free in him. In this freedom, we find our own true identity in God. We don't give up on our identity, but quite the opposite. All the things of this world that have hindered us because we held on to them have hampered and encumbered us to the point that our true identity in God could not come forth. These earthly bindings influence us in the opposite direction that are not in harmony with God's character and the characters that he has created us to become and reveal and exhibit through him. We are free to be us, but only if we are first in him. It was a selfless act on God's part to create us this way. God took a risk, but as an other-centered, loving, forgiving God, he created us the same way in his image. There is no greater experience than this in life. We know that Jesus lived this way this entire time that he was here on Earth. This is why he attracted so many seekers and why he was hated so much by the religious leaders. He had no fear because he had total and complete trust and confidence in his father. This can be our experience too. God wants us to taste life this way all the time. The kingdom of heaven is something he desperately wants to implant in each one of our hearts. Once we experience this amazing lifestyle, When we compare it to anything else in the world, we will see that it is totally empty compared to what he has to offer. As Nebuchadnezzar looks into that fire, he sees Jesus. So he comes near the doorway of the fiery furnace, and in verse 26, he says, Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then they came from the midst of the fire and the king's wise men gathered together and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not even singed nor were the garments affected and the smell of fire was not on them. Just let those three things sink in. God wants to remove every aspect of sin, guilt, and shame away from us. He wants us to place heaven into every word, every thought, every deed of our lives. He wants to make perfectly in us the character of God so that we can shine for him to others. Just like there was no smell of smoke on the three Hebrew young men, God wants to keep sin from tainting your life in the same way. He wants to take all of sin's curses, all of the angst, all of sin's fears and punishments from your life and mine, and to protect us for his glory. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. But then in verse 29, you can read it for yourself, Nebuchadnezzar has another whoops. When he crosses the line yet again in this story, In his honoring and promoting and recognizing these young men as having something that he didn't have, he still has some of the old ways lurking within him. The good news is God was not finished with him yet because we see that in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, even though he went through a difficult time, was converted. But here in chapters 2 and 3, Outside of the major prophetic message, the point of these two chapters is that God is not finished with us either if we will let him continue his process within us. He moves us along gently yet forward. He keeps us moving forward and will finish the work that he began. And friends, all I can say is if you don't feel like you have arrived It doesn't matter. Just keep believing in Jesus, keep trusting, keep holding his hand, keep coming to him every day, keep believing he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. We need to trust that he will do this for us. We have no power or capacity at all, zero, to do anything for ourselves. If we think we do, that's the old covenant legalistic way of thinking. The way you come to God with nothing is the way you continue with God with nothing and the way he will finish his way in you with nothing. God does it all. When you come to Jesus, you come with nothing. There's a song that I just love. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And even when we start making progress with Jesus, inside we will always be selfish and bankrupt to the core. No matter how far forward you're going, you will still be personally, personally, on your own human efforts, bankrupt to the core. But when you depend on God today, it becomes vitally and necessarily important as it was yesterday or as it will be tomorrow. Staying with Jesus every day is as important as coming to him the first time. The only way we can live our life is to have them connected with Jesus. The greatest danger of our love for Christ is our work for Christ. The more we work we do once we come to him, the greater danger we have of depending on self even more, instead of relying upon Jesus for everything. This is why we are allowed to stumble and fall so that God can remind us of who we really are and our great need of him at all points of the day. So what should you tell yourself every morning as you start the day? We know that we can of our own selves do nothing. We've beaten that to a dead horse in some of my past sermons. John chapter 15, verse five. Without me, ye can do nothing. But in Philippians, with all things, I can, I can with, with Christ, I can do all things. So, I have a few comments here, just very brief, and then we're done. Here's how Moses would start his day. Lord, if you don't go with us or before us, We're not going anywhere. Here's what Abraham would say. The Lord will provide. Jacob would say, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Joshua would say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Nehemiah would say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Solomon would say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Isaiah would say, arise and shine forth, my glory has come no weapon formed against me shall ever prosper. Jeremiah would say, the Lord has plans to prosper me and not to harm or fail me. Jabez would say, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Ezekiel would say, any dry bones in my life will live again. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego would say, we will not bow down to any image. We will only serve the Lord. Psalm 37, verses four and five. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Can God be trusted? You bet he can. But don't believe me. Trust in Him and experience Him for yourself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I pray that we will have more confidence in God in 2022. And I thank Melanie for coming up. I think it's 590, is it, for our closing hymn?